Tonight we turn to Luke chapter 1. The text for tonight is verses 26 through 33, which we'll read one time tonight. As you might have guessed when you read the bulletin and by the scripture passage, my intention is to do an Advent series on the story of the coming of Christ through the eyes of Mary in particular. And that begins with the angel Gabriel coming to visit her to announce the birth of Christ. We begin reading at verse 1 of Luke 1. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. And I'm sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak, until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias, and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, 
Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. And now verse 26 begins the text, which continues through verse 33. And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaiden of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, one of these most significant events in all of history is recorded here in our text this evening. There are not many times when God has sent an angel to speak with human beings, but when he did send them, it was always in anticipation of some great event that was about to take place. And Gabriel seems to be not just one angel, but among the greatest of the angels, as he says of himself in verse 19, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. And this great, important angel, Gabriel, on this significant occasion, carried the most important message that could ever have been told it was at this time, as Galatians 4, verse 4 says, the fullness of time. For centuries, the hourglass of history had been filling up until this moment when the angel Gabriel was sent from God with this message. The Son of God was coming into the world to make known the love of God for the world that he created and to save his people from their sins. It is the birth announcement of the king who will live forever and ever, who will reign at the right hand of God. It's the most significant or one of the most significant events in history. There's something wonderfully striking then about the way 
this very important event unfolds. You would expect such an important message being sent by such an important person as Gabriel would go to the great men, the movers and the shakers, the powerful, the people of influence in this world. That's where we would send the message if we had a breaking story that had to get out. Print it in the newspaper. Publish it in the magazines. Send word to the White House. Send word to the United Nations. In those days, that would have meant sending word to the Caesar in Rome. At the very least, tell the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. But our God is not a God who does what we would expect him to do. Quite the opposite. Who is the first person who will hear that the Savior is to be born? Indeed, who will be the person most instrumental in bringing the Savior into this world? Well, Gabriel, it's time to bring the message that you've been waiting to bring since the beginning of time. I want you to go find this girl this young lady whose name is Mary who lives in this little village called Nazareth in the backwoods country of Galilee. And thus begins the story of the birth of Christ as the angel Gabriel is sent to a virgin in Nazareth. And that's what I call our attention to this evening. Gabriel sent to a virgin in Nazareth first the addressee, who is it that Gabriel, this great and glorious angel, is sent to, and what significance can we find in that? Secondly, the message that the angel brought to Mary, and then finally, the joy of these tidings, both for Mary and for us today. In a little village called Nazareth, there lived a young lady whose name was Mary. This young lady, Mary, was a believing child of God. We know she was a godly person because she was going to get married to a godly man. Matthew 1 verse 19 says that Joseph was a just man who treated Mary with respect and did so even when he had cause to be alarmed at her character and faithfulness to him when it was in doubt in his mind whether she had been unfaithful and become pregnant through an evil means. Nevertheless, he treated her with respect. He was a just man. Since it's likely that the marriage of Joseph and Mary was arranged to some extent by their parents, the choice of the man Joseph for their daughter also says a lot about the godly parents that Mary must have had. A godly young woman brought up in a godly home set to be married to a godly man. We also see evidence of Mary's godly character in the fact that she was a virgin. She was espoused to Joseph. That means more than that she was engaged to him. It means that they had already exchanged vows. 
All that remained was the day when Joseph would come to claim her and bring her to his home. Then the marriage would be celebrated and finally consummated, and they would begin living as one flesh. But that final day of wedding celebration had not come yet. They were espoused, and yet Mary had kept herself sexually clean from her own words in verse 34. In her surprise as to what the angel said, that she was going to bear a son, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man, meaning, meaning sexually. But what is perhaps most striking about Mary's character is her evident faith in God. You have to contrast the way Mary responds to the angel Gabriel with the way Zacharias responds to the same angel when he comes to him. Where Zacharias did not believe the words of Gabriel that his wife Elizabeth would have a son until he received a sign, Mary's answer to Gabriel's announcement is simply this, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Mary was a believer and a godly young woman who looked for the coming of the Messiah, and her faith in that coming Messiah was the source of her godly life. Yet, in other respects, there was nothing extraordinary about this young woman named Mary. The word virgin says more than that Mary kept herself pure for her wedding day, although it certainly means that. But it also says that she was just a girl. She was probably in her teenage years at this time, probably younger than we would expect for somebody who would be of a marriageable age according to the way we think of that in our own time and place. And then this village that Mary lived in was not a prominent place, but it was a backwoods kind of a place. Galilee was nothing special on the map of Palestine as it existed in those days. There were no big cities in the region of Galilee as there were in the southern province of Judea. And standing between Judea in the south and Galilee to the north, there was this vast region known as Samaria, which the Jews did not pass through, which created a barrier between the Jews of Galilee and the Jews of Judea. And the Jews of Judea regarded Galilee as kind of a, a backwards kind of a place. And we, even within that backwards kind of a place known as Galilee, Nazareth was nothing special as a village. Even the men of Galilee, like Jesus' disciple Nathaniel, looked down their noses on Nazareth. Nathaniel's the one who said, can there be any good thing that comes out of Nazareth? In, first, uh, in John 1 verse 46. No doubt Mary's plan for her life, therefore, was very simple. And she had very ordinary expectations as to what life would be like for her, given her circumstances. By today's standards, Mary looks positively quaint and unsophisticated. Really, Mary? That's all you expect for yourself? That's all you anticipate for your life? To get married? To settle down? To have children? To raise a family? living in some backwoods corner of the earth? You aren't hungering for anything more in your life? You aren't expecting great things 
from God for your life? Now, of course, there were no opportunities for someone like Mary to get a college education. There were no opportunities for Mary to uh, compare her quiet, very ordinary life to the exciting lives of other people on Instagram and other social media venues. But Mary would not have felt the lack of such things either. This is exactly what a God-fearing young woman yearned for and sought after to find a godly husband, to raise a family in the fear of the Lord, a simple, ordinary, believing young lady is all that Mary was living in the village of Nazareth in the backwoods county of Galilee. To this young lady in Nazareth, God sent his angel with a message addressed to her. One day Mary was in her house. It would have been her father's house since her marriage to Joseph had not yet been finalized. Who knows what she was doing on this particular day? She could have been having a time of prayer in the early morning, perhaps. She might have been making wedding plans, getting ready for the celebration that was soon to come. Or maybe she was simply doing chores, her daily chores, another work in a house that surely required all of its members to participate in order to keep that house running. All we know is that she was alone and she was inside because when the angel comes, according to verse 28, he comes in unto her. And the angel came in unto her. Whether Gabriel walked through the front door or passed through the solid walls of the house, we're not told exactly, but he came in unto her. And she saw him. And she saw him in all his heavenly glory as one of the angels of God. This was a holy angel who lived in the presence of the holy God who made heaven and earth. He was one of those beings who went up and down on that ladder that Jacob once saw in a vision while he slept on a rock in Bethel. This particular angel, Gabriel, had once spoken to Daniel thousands of years before this time, or at least hundreds of years before this time, to make known visions related to the end of the world. But now he stands before Mary. And her reaction says it all in verse 29. And when she saw him... She was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Gabriel's salutation was not only what he said, although he spoke, Hail thou that art highly favored of the Lord, but his salutation was also the very fact that he was standing there greeting her at all. Mary was troubled at his presence, troubled as anyone would be if they looked into the face of one of God's holy angels even Daniel, if you go back into the book of Daniel as we're doing in our Bible study and read how Daniel responded to the angels and the angel Gabriel that came to him, when he was confronted with an angel, he did not stand up and have a nice chat with the angel. No, he fell in a dead faint. So here also Mary, as she's confronted with the glory of heaven, is troubled at his presence. But notice 
Here, Gabriel was sent. Don't overlook that. Here, he was sent. If it's impressive enough to be looking into the face of an angel from heaven and hearing him speak as Mary was, how much more impressive and how much more amazing isn't this when you consider who it was that told this angel to go meet with this girl in Nazareth? God himself, perhaps moments before Gabriel entered into the house of Mary, spoke to this angel and said, Gabriel, I have a message for you. And I want you to go talk to somebody. Go now. Speak to her. I have a word for her. What an amazing moment for Mary, this ordinary girl from Nazareth. As we draw significance out of this story, which should stand out right away, is what a glorious condescension this is from God. What a contrast. What a contrast. In the world in which we live, you have men placing crowns on their heads and lifting themselves up in their pride. You have the scribes and the Pharisees with all of their knowledge of the law of God or all of their supposed knowledge of the, the law of God, loving to be called teacher, loving to be called master, strutting around to the praises of the people. In the city of Jerusalem, some miles away from Nazareth where Mary lived, you have Herod wearing his purple robes, building this beautiful structure in Jerusalem, the temple that's really one of the wonders of the ancient world. In the same world in which Mary lived, you have the Roman emperor sitting on his throne, having just united all the tribes and kingdoms of the world under his power and under his authority. And yet the glorious angel of God who comes from the throne room of heaven passes by all of them, doesn't speak a word to a single one of them. God has no respect for the movers and shakers of this world who set themselves up in high places and act as if they themselves are gods. Instead, his angel descends into a backwoods region of Galilee to this little village known as Nazareth, that the Caesar of Rome had probably never heard of before in his life. And he goes to the house of this girl whose name we never would have heard of in our lives if not for this incident. And he shines his heavenly light before her. And he brings to her a message from God addressed to her. It was surely a terrifying moment for Mary to stand in the presence of this holy angel. And yet... There's an amazing demonstration of the mercy and the grace and of the, in the condescension of God in this act, isn't there? God has no use for the kings in their castles. The one that he sees and takes knowledge of is the poor beggar sitting in his dunghill wearing his rags, 
He takes that poor man and lifts him up and makes him a prince among his people. He sees the barren woman in her house and makes her a joyful mother of children, as Psalm 113 describes it. He condescends to see and know the things of heaven and earth below. The small person, the little person, the ordinary girl. And for no other reason than that it pleases him. And it is his sovereign good pleasure to do so. He loves and chooses little Mary and draws her right into the center of his plans and counsels. And don't think that this glorious condescension of God is only for Mary. That's one of the sad consequences of the Roman Catholic worship of Mary that this whole story ends up being only about Mary and its significance really only has to do with Mary. In the Roman Catholic Church, there is a veneration, they call it, of Mary that lifts her up nearly to divine status so that she functions as a mediator or what they call a mediatrix alongside of her son Jesus Christ. And that veneration of Mary is a veneration that says Mary's not ordinary at all, but very, very special. In fact, even before she was conceived the child Jesus in her womb, she was immaculate. She had no sin and was therefore a fit and worthy vessel to bear the Christ child in her womb. And the implication of this is that the message of the angel Gabriel is really only for Mary herself, really only has to do with Mary and that the favor and the blessing that is shown to Mary here is for Mary and Mary alone. And there is no lesson here, therefore, for believing young women in the church because they'll never be a Mary and you will never be a Mary. But the truth is just the opposite, beloved. It is exactly the ordinariness of Mary that makes this story so profound and so instructive. God has not chosen the wise of this world. God has not chosen the mighty of this world. He has not chosen the immaculate of this world. He has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise and the weak things of this world to confound the mighty. The son who will be born from Mary's womb is a son who will save his people through his weakness, through his death. He is the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and suffering and humiliation. And in this way will he save his people from their grief, from their suffering, and ultimately from their sins, including Mary, from her sins. God chose her not because she was special. God chose her simply because he loved her. And he chose her with an unconditional love. And so he chooses you also, beloved, who believe in him to be united to his son, Jesus Christ, the, the child who will be conceived in Mary's womb and born. Young women, Christian young women, do not be seduced by the world's brand of greatness. Do not be afraid to settle for an ordinary life, doing ordinary things like raising children 
sure. If you have the kind of opportunities that Mary never had, don't be afraid to avail yourself of those as well. Go to college if you are of a mind to do so. Use your minds, use your talents in various ways, but let the example of Mary and of many, many godly women in Scripture be your guide rather than the voices that come screaming at you from the world. God's calling for you is not to do great things necessarily. God's calling for you is not to conquer the world. He simply wants you to be faithful in the ordinary Christian life. Even if that does not sell well on Instagram or look cool on social media, What then was the message that Gabriel had for Mary? The message to Mary, first of all, was the message of salvation to all the people of God. Mary was going to give birth to a king. Now, think of how that would have sounded in Mary's ears. Though Mary was an ordinary girl from Nazareth, there was one thing that did make her unique, which is that she was in the line of King David. Now, there's different interpretations exegetically as to how this works out, but my personal view is that Mary's connection to David is found in the genealogy in Luke chapter 3. That means that she was not a descendant of the royal line of David, that runs through Solomon and the other kings in the books of Kings and Chronicles. She was rather, but she was a blood descendant of David through one of David's other sons, whose name was Nathan. The blood of David, therefore, very much ran in her veins, and any son that she gave birth to would be of the flesh and blood of David. On the other hand, we must remember that before this angel came to visit Mary, Mary was already arranged to marry Joseph. And Joseph was of the royal line of David, who descended from Solomon and the other kings. His genealogy, that is the genealogy of Joseph, is given in Matthew chapter 1. The fact that the royal son of David lived in a little town like Nazareth out in the backwoods tells you something about the spiritual condition of Israel at this time. Nobody was really paying attention to these matters. Nevertheless, any child who was the firstborn son of Mary would be the legal heir of David's throne as the member of Joseph's house. So her son would be both the flesh and blood descendant of David through her own line, and he would be the legal heir of David through adoption by Joseph. And that's all in the background when the angel says, the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. In verse 32, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Remember in the Old Testament that God had made a promise to David. He said, I'm going to give you a son who will build a house for my name, and I will establish your throne forever. 
Now, when he made that promise, he wasn't only talking about Solomon. Yes, Solomon built the temple, and yes, Solomon's descendants were, were sitting on the throne for many years. Nevertheless, God's statement to David that your son will always be on my throne, will always be on the throne, was not only talking about Solomon. And that's clear because that promise is repeated later on in the Psalms. In Psalm 89, the promise is repeated. In these words, God says, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. And Psalm 89 was written after the death of Solomon. That promise really was the promise that Christ, the king of Israel, would come from the line of David. This is what believers like Simeon and Anna and Mary and Joseph were looking for in those days, if you remember those names from elsewhere in the book of Luke. Faith at this time meant looking for God to fulfill that promise that he made to David long ago that there would be a Messiah who would come to sit on David's throne. Mary knew exactly what the angel was getting at when Gabriel said her son would be given the throne of his father, David. What Gabriel was saying to Mary is this, the wait is over. The fullness of time is here. God is fulfilling his promise. And that promise has to do with so much more than just you, Mary. It is the fulfillment of his covenant. It is the fulfillment of all of his works from the beginning of time. It is salvation for the house of Jacob. And this king whom Mary would give birth to would be no ordinary king. He would not be a king like David. He would not be a king like Solomon, a king who lived for a time and then died, a king who built up the kingdom for a while only for it all to fall away and be lost in the mists of history. Rather, he shall be great, verse 32. He shall be great, and he will be great in a way not true of any other king who ever ruled a kingdom. He will be called the son of the highest or the son of the most high God. He will be given the name Son of God. And that too is a reference to the Old Testament and the prophecy of the coming Messiah. Psalm 2 verse 6 puts these words in the mouth of God. Yet have I set my king on my holy hill of Zion. And then in verse 7, God says, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. the son of the highest. At this point, the son of the highest is probably not referring to the divinity of Christ as such. The truth of the divinity of Mary's child will be established later on in Gabriel's conversation with Mary. Gabriel will say, in answer to Mary's question, how shall this be? seeing I know not a man, that the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, and that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And it's evident that he means that this Son from Mary would be God the Son, come in the flesh, God incarnate. But here, that's not yet the focus. 
At this point, the focus is on the greatness of the kingdom ruled over by the man, the real human who descends from his father, David, and assumes the throne with the legal right of his father, David's kingdom. The flesh and blood son who shall come from your womb, Mary, shall be called the son of the highest. God will lift him up and give him power over all things in heaven and in earth. And the reason I make a point of that tonight is because it says something about the worth of this person and his character as expressed in his humanity. He will not only be the son of God, but he will be recognized as the Son of God by the way he lives his life, by the way he conducts himself, by the way he rules over his kingdom. Unlike worldly kings such as Caesar, who claim to be sons of God for the purposes of propaganda, Jesus will actually bear the character and the image of God, which God will recognize in him and lift him up to be the king of his kingdom. The kingdom he rules over, therefore, shall have no end. According to verse 33, he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There shall be no end. It will be a kingdom that fills heaven and earth. The son of the highest is the person to whom all of the rulers of this world will be held accountable and to whom they will have to answer. And when God makes all things new, this king will establish an everlasting kingdom that will exist forever and ever in perfect righteousness. And on and on it will go. Of this kingdom there shall be no end means it will go on and on and on into the ages. You can look on and on into the future and you will never come to the end of the existence of this kingdom. It is an an immortal king ruling over immortal subjects. This child will be conceived in your womb, Mary. Imagine hearing those things from no less than the mouth of an angel from heaven. Imagine what that must have been like for Mary to hear that the promises of God are fulfilled and fulfilling in her life, in her womb. And not just for her, but for all of the people of God. But here's the point for us. You don't need to hear it from the mouth of an angel. For God himself tells these same things to you through the inspired scriptures And you even have the awesome privilege that Mary did not have of seeing how these things would go on to be fulfilled, of seeing what a truly great and remarkable person this child would be, how he would live in the world and move among men, what a beautiful character he would display in his interactions with his people with the lame and the sick, with sinners, 
of his stands for the righteousness of God against the enemies of the kingdom. How he would go even to the cross. Mary did not see that yet. You see it, you know it. How God would raise him from the dead, lift him up to his right hand in the ascension, give him all power over heaven and earth. What an amazing message of salvation that God proclaimed here, but which God has fulfilled before our very eyes and continues to fulfill. But God's message was not only a message of salvation for the people of God in a general sense. Gabriel's message to Mary was a message of personal salvation to her. It's noteworthy that the first thing an angel usually has to say is this. Don't be afraid. Fear not. With Daniel, he was so terrified he literally fainted and the angel had to come and touch him and wake him up. With Mary, she was troubled in her mind as she considered the greeting of Gabriel. Troubled in her mind. She was afraid. She was disturbed. And this fear came not only from being in the presence of an holy angel who came from God, but it it came out of her own sense of her own unworthiness, of her own personal sin. Why is this holy angel speaking to me? just a girl from Nazareth and a sinner. So the angel says, fear not, Mary, don't be afraid. And then this in verse 30, thou hast found favor with God. That is, you have found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God has not selected you as some highly meritorious an immaculate saint who deserves to give birth to the Christ child, but he has chosen to favor you with his grace and with his love that you do not deserve according to his own sovereign good pleasure to save you. You are not merely some pawn in God's grand counsel of salvation so that God is using your womb and your body to bring his son into the world, but you, Mary, have found favor with the Lord. You have, and the son to which you shall give birth will be your own personal Lord and your own personal Savior who will live and suffer and die and rise again for your personal salvation. You shall belong to this kingdom that he will establish forever and ever. You shall see the Lord's salvation. You shall rejoice in his presence. This is for you. This is glad tidings for you. And you will even have the great privilege of calling him by his personal name. Not only as his mother, although Mary will do that also, holding this child in her arms and calling him by the name that the angel designated, Jesus. But also, Mary will know him personally as one of his sheep for whom he came personally to give his life and to save. Mary will know him personally as her Savior, for that's what the name Jesus means, isn't it? Savior, Jehovah's salvation. 
Beloved, have you ever wished that an angel would come to you and tell you directly that you are favored by God? There's a certain jealousy maybe that we have over what Mary experienced here and what other saints have experienced when an angel came to talk to them. What assurance that must have worked for her, we might think. She had an angel come right down from heaven, right into her living room, as it were, and tell her that she's saved. Behold, hail, thou who art highly favored of the Lord. If only that were me, you might think, then I wouldn't have to wrestle with these doubts, and I wouldn't have to wrestle with these fears, and I would have assurance, perfect, blessed assurance, that Jesus really is mine. But don't forget, beloved, that this special revelation to Mary did not prevent her from doing some pretty foolish things later on in her life, such as showing her son off at a wedding feast by asking him to solve the shortage of wine and telling him off as a 12-year-old boy when he was in the temple only to be admonished for her earthly-mindedness and for distracting him from being about his father's business. Though Mary has this experience of meeting with the angel, it's not as though she had a perfect Christian life from here on out and a perfect experience of, of assurance. And don't forget either that though Mary in some ways had a unique position, having had the angel come to talk to her and having given birth to the Son of God, yet she, because of this she also had to stand there at the cross and watch as her son was crucified. There was a sword that ran through Mary's heart that came as the high cost of this privileged position that she was given. That's what Simeon later would tell her in Luke 2. On the other hand, we must remember that we have a better revelation through faith even than if an angel were to come down and speak to us this evening. This is what faith tells us. Faith tells us that Jesus Christ was born for our salvation. It tells us that he is our personal Lord and Savior. It tells us that he lived and suffered and died and rose again for us. It tells us that we know him personally by his personal name, Jesus and faith tells us all of that directly to our hearts by the Spirit who lives within us. Through faith, the Word of God tells us, do not be afraid. Fear not. Do not live in doubt. Do not live with a lack of assurance. Rather, believe. Hear the Word of God that says to you, thou hast found favor with God. Believe in me. Live in the joy of my kingdom. That's what the Lord Jesus himself says to you, not through an angel, but by the Spirit who is in you. And you hear his voice by a living faith. That brings us to the joy. And the joy is in the greeting. Now, when we think of angels, I don't know if the word joy is what immediately jumps into our minds. Not necessarily because angels are particularly unjoyful, but they're holy creatures. And the work that they do is so serious and grave 
And we tend to think that serious and grave does not fit well with joyful and happy. But notice that the first word on the lips of Gabriel was a message of joy. Hail! Hail, thou that art highly favored of the Lord. Hail. That's another, word of the, another one of those old English words that tends to get lost in our modern English way of speaking. Hail. We don't use that terminology, but that word is translating a Greek word that at its root means something like rejoice, or it comes back to the root idea of rejoicing and joy. It's a greeting, in other words, that intends to signal that this is a happy meeting, and I have joyful news to tell you, Mary. Hail, thou that art highly favored of the Lord. Now, I expect that with a humble girl like Mary, this only contributed to her sense of confusion and the trouble in her soul. She cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be, we read. What is an angel doing, breaking into my living room and greeting me with joy? Just think of how you might feel if the king of England were walking through your neighborhood and should happen to signal, single you out and start walking in your direction with his hand outstretched and a smile on his face. I think if that were me, the first thing I would be thinking is, there must be some sort of mistake. Why is the king of England walking toward me with his hand outstretched? Have I done something wrong? Am I in trouble? What manner of salutation is this coming from such a person as that? But Mary's confused reaction does not change the fact that the angel was coming with joy and with a message of joy, and he wants Mary to understand this from the very first words that come out of his mouth. Hail! Joyfully met we are, Mary, thou that art highly favored of the Lord. Blessed art thou among women. Happy art thou. And of course, having heard most of the sermon we understand why this meeting was so joyful and why the angel was so full of joy. It's because of the message that he was bearing. And this, beloved, is what true joy is all about. True, do- true joy is not just about how big of a smile is on your face or how loudly you might laugh at a joke. True joy is the knowledge that all is well with me. And that no, no matter how bad things might look in the world around me, nevertheless, all things are well with the world. And all things are well with, the, with where the world is going. Mary may look around Judea and see all kinds of unbelief and apostasy. Nevertheless, God has not forgotten his promise. He's sending his son just as he said he would. And here Mary has the privilege of witnessing this with a front row seat. Isn't that your joy, beloved? Again, the things that Mary knows only in a brief message you have seen come to pass in the full gospel. Jesus Christ came into the world and accomplished the things that he came to do. He's been risen. He's ascended into heaven as we heard this morning. Do not be discouraged. Do not be discouraged by the sense that your life is so ordinary so small, so off to the side in terms of the big things that are happening in the world and the big people and the movers and the shakers. Do not be overly troubled by the way things are in the world or by the things 
that may be happening in your personal life. Have joy. Have joy. Jesus Christ, the Son of the highest, has been born for our salvation. And take heart, beloved. Take heart in the knowledge that one day you will see him. He will come to you more dramatically, more gloriously than Gabriel ever came to Mary. He will come not just with one angel, but with ten thousands of angels behind him. And on that day, he will speak to you, and he will address you as his own beloved people. And he will say, Hail, thou that art highly favored of the Lord. Blessed art thou. And what a glorious day that will be. Believe it, beloved, and expect it. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank thee for this story and how it speaks to our hearts and addresses our lives. We pray that our own thoughts, our own priorities, our own desires will be shaped after thy thoughts and thy priorities and thy desires, and that we will see greatness where thou dost see it, not in those who lift themselves up in pride and surround themselves in gold and silver, but in an ordinary girl in Nazareth who believes thy promise, and in a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief in whom there was nothing about him that we should say he was beautiful, but who suffered and died for the salvation of thy people. And grant, O Father, that we may model ourselves after these things and believe them ourselves and look for the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ in the clouds of glory to, to finally bring an end to thy great purposes. Bless us, O Father, as we leave thy house tonight. Let thy blessing go with us in thy favor and the consciousness of it, that we may not be full of doubt and fear and disquiet, but confident and bold in our Lord. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.